The Lady Parts Doctor Podcast is a health podcast focusing on issues that affect women and those assigned female at birth. However, it is for everyone. This is our safe place to talk about things that matter to you involving your spiritual, mental, and physical health. We talk and I give you the evidence with a little of my personal and professional experience sprinkled in. So sit back, relax, grab your tea, your water, your wine, whatever it is. And let's chat. Hello, and welcome to the Lady Parts Doctor podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Hack, the Lady Parts Doctor, and I am so happy that you are joining me again this week. You know, I love it when we chat, and we always have so much to chat about. So last week, we talked about cervical cancer. I had my friend and GYN oncologist, Dr. Renee Cowan on, just to speak about the signs of cervical cancer, the course, and the treatment. It was just a really good chat. It was also great to just have a conversation with a good friend of mine about something that we're both very passionate about. Last week was Cervical Health Awareness Month. This month is Black History Month. We highlight many things in Black history in February, but really history should be celebrated year-round. And it's good to know your history. So I thought, What better than to kind of talk about it in this episode? I mean, it's the first week of Black History Month of 2023. And despite the many contributions of African Americans to our work, our health, our society in general, there are only a few whose names are constantly met with recognition. Think Martin Luther King Jr., excuse me, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Harriet Tubman, Barack Obama, And the same is true for medicine and obstetrics and gynecology as well. For example, while many of you may know Ben Carson as a past Republican presidential candidate and former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, he was first known as a talented neurosurgeon and received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2008, in addition to many firsts in his field. Or let's try a less controversial figure. Have you ever heard of Dr. Rosalind Epps? She was the first African-American elected national president of the American Medical Women's Association and the first African-American woman president of the Medical Society of the District of Columbia. There's so much history that needs to be discussed. There are so many people who continue to be excellent despite the narrative they were given, despite their circumstance. And you really have to know what people were up against and how they were able to persevere and just continue to be amazing and to do amazing things. You have to know your history to know what you're capable of. Because otherwise, if you live in the present, sometimes you'll forget. And sometimes you'll hear the narrative that's given to you about who you are and the people where you came from. And really, There's so much more, and there's so much more to aspire to. So in this episode, I'd like to take a moment to highlight Black history in the field of obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive health. First, we have to honor the unwitting contributions of three women, Anarka, Betsy, and Lucy. 
Now, these three women are really representative of a number of women who will forever be unnamed. Known as the mothers of gynecology, they were enslaved in Montgomery County, Alabama in the 1840s. During this time, they were experimented upon by Dr. J. Marion Sims as he tried to perfect his surgical technique for repairing a vesicle vaginal fistula. Anarka, who underwent over 30 surgeries until the procedure was considered a success, did so without anesthesia. None of these women had anesthesia. She was just 17 years old when she first began treatment, and it's said that she underwent a traumatic childbirth. And what happens during that process, if there is significant damage to the vagina, there's tissue inflammation, damage, and breakdown. And so that allowed the creation of this hole, this communication between the vagina and the bladder, allowing urine to seep through. So he was attempting to repair that. And since these women were considered property, their consent to obtain these procedures was not required. In addition, these surgeries were often performed for an audience of surgeons hoping to learn the techniques. Our knowledge of the vagina and our ability to diagnose and treat many conditions would not be possible without these women's sacrifice. And I will tell you, I didn't learn this story until just a few years ago. We have a specific type of speculum that we use. It's called a Sims speculum after J. Marion Sims, who has been referred to as the father of gynecology. But really, it is the mothers of gynecology who have made this possible. A statue was erected in their honor in Montgomery, Alabama in 2021. 100 years later, Helen Octavia Dickens, MD, became the first black woman to receive board certification in obstetrics and gynecology in 1945. Born in 1901, she was the daughter of a former slave. Her parents struggled financially and encouraged her to obtain a professional degree, and she did. With the help of Dr. Elizabeth Hill, her mentor, and also the first African-American physician to graduate from the University of Illinois, Dr. Dickens was able to enroll and earn her medical degree in 1934. She was the only black woman in her graduating class. She was also the first black woman to be inducted into the American College of Surgeons. Dr. Dickens later became associate dean in the Office for Minority Affairs at the University of Pennsylvania, increasing minority enrollment over 20-fold from 3 to 64. She was passionate about educating young women to empower themselves and led extensive research into teen pregnancy and sexual health issues. Prior to her death in 2001, she received numerous awards for her work. Dr. Dickens' daughter, Dr. Jane Henderson Brown, has followed in her footsteps and practices in Philadelphia just like her mother did. And, you know, that's near and dear to my heart also because, one, I went to medical school in Philadelphia, never practiced in Philadelphia, but I went to medical school in Philadelphia. And I want to empower young women, women of all ages, people assigned female at birth, to empower themselves and just empower themselves to make healthcare decisions that are best for them, to have the knowledge, to have the experience, and just to feel comfortable in their bodies. And I find that as we continue to talk about these women who've made these contributions, that many of them felt the same way. 
Shortly after Dr. Dickens graduated from medical school, Ms. Henrietta Lacks presented to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, complaining of vaginal bleeding. It was 1951, and she was a young mother to five children. The doctors found a large tumor on her cervix and took biopsies, and she was later diagnosed with cervical cancer. And if you listened to the podcast last week with Dr. Cowan, we talked a little bit about this presentation and why she probably presented like this. Of course, this was way before we did the regular cervical cancer screening that we do now. And the screening that we do now is to prevent that. You know, Miss Lax was just... 31 years old at the time. The pathologist discovered that the cells from the cervical cancer that she had started her treatment for, that these cells behaved differently from what he had seen before. They didn't die like every other cell he'd seen. And instead, they doubled every 20 to 24 hours. He named them HeLa cells from her name, H-E-L-A, Henrietta Lacks. And they are an till this day, used to study the effects of toxins, drugs, hormones, and viruses on the growth of cancer cells. A little modern culture bringing it up to today, they were even involved in the development of COVID-19 vaccines. Amazing. So Ms. Lacks died October 4th, 1951, at the young age of 31, never knowing the extent of her impact. Johns Hopkins University issued a formal apology for using her cells without her consent, claiming they never profited in naming a building in her honor. Her family later sued biotech company Thermo Fisher, alleging the company had made millions from mass producing her cells and selling a range of product lines derived from them to medical researchers and institutions. As of November 2022, the suit was ongoing. But hearing that, you know, it just draws parallels with the continued profiting off of the bodies and the works of African Americans without them receiving the profits for their work. Let's keep going. Six years later, Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner created an invention that would impact our lives in a different way. Ms. Kenner was born in 1912 to a family of entrepreneurs. She graduated high school in 1931 and attended Howard University, an historically black college and university, leaving early due to financial issues. She took a job as a federal employee and was able to save enough money to file her first patent in 1957. And this patent was for an adjustable sanitary belt with an inbuilt moisture-proof napkin pocket. This was revolutionary at the time, as most women were still using scrap cloth and rags to absorb blood during their periods. Side notes, if you've ever heard the term, oh, I'm on the rag, for people describing being on their period, that's where that comes from. However, her genius idea didn't protect her from the prejudice of the time. She's quoted as saying, One day, I was contacted by a company that expressed an interest in marketing my idea. I was so jubilant. I saw houses, cars, and everything about to come my way. Sorry to say, when they found out I was black, their interest dropped. The representative went back to New York and informed me the company was no longer interested. Of course, that didn't stop her. (laughs) No, 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 no. That didn't stop her. She filed four more patents before passing away in January of 2006. When it came to being an inventor, she stated, 
Every person is born with a creative mind. Everyone has that ability. Margaret Charles Smith is referred to as one of the last great granny midwives before their outlaw in Alabama in 1976. Born in 1906, her mother died just three weeks after giving birth to her. She was left in the care of her grandmother, a former slave, who raised her into adulthood. Smith began her career at the young age of five years old while attending a woman whose husband had gone to fetch the midwife. The husband and midwife returned to find she had already caught the baby. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, as somebody who gave birth about four months ago, I'm imagining this five-year-old child being with me. That'd be almost like my oldest son delivering my baby. Crazy. Um, the husband and midwife returned, finding that she had caught the baby. And in 1949, a time when many hospitals refused to treat black women, Smith obtained her permit to practice midwifery, and she was one of the first midwives in Greene County. During her career, she caught over 3,500 babies, sometimes making her way through fields and wading through water before delivering up to four babies a night from malnourished and overworked mothers. Twins, breech babies, premature babies, you name it, she delivered it. It is said that she never lost a mother during childbirth. That's amazing because those are all high-risk situations. Alabama passed a law outlawing midwives in 1976, threatening to jail anyone who continued their work. She detailed her life's work in a book she co-authored with Linda Janet Holmes in 1996 called Listen to Me, Good, The Life of an Alabama Midwife. It's available on Amazon. Former and first black U.S. Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders was born in 1933 to a poor sharecropping family. In her rural Arkansas home, she grew up without access to hospitals willing to treat blacks. Elders' mother taught her and her seven siblings to read, and she later graduated as valedictorian of her class, receiving a full scholarship to college. She earned her MD from the University of Arkansas Medical School, and after years of researching childhood diseases, was appointed to the director of the Arkansas Department of Health by then-Governor Bill Clinton. Through her role, she established school-based health programs to meet the needs of all students, regardless of race, and she was appointed as Surgeon General by President Bill Clinton in 1993. Just one year later, she made what some considered controversial statements at the time, forcing her to resign. In a statement about masturbating at a 1994 United Nations AIDS conference, she said, I think that is something that is a part of human sexuality, and it's a part of something that perhaps should be taught. But we've not even taught our children the very basics. Incredibly progressive for her time, she currently works as a professor emerita at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Her biography is titled Jocelyn Elders, From Sharecropper's Daughter to Surgeon General of the United States of America, and it's available online. Also, May has been named National Masturbation Month 
in her honor. If you're going to get any month, I mean, that to me is the one that you would want. Like, don't give me anything stuffy. I want something that people get excited about. (laughs) And these are just a few contributions, a few of the many, many, many contributions of Blacks to medicine, OBGYN, and reproductive health. You have to write your own narrative. Because if you don't write your own narrative, people will tell you who you are and you might become somebody else. But you know who you are. You know your story. You know what you've accomplished. You know what you're capable of. Be that, do that. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) And please, if you have any ideas, people that you think we should talk about in the podcast or mention, send them to me, drhack at ladypartsdoctor.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the blog, the podcast, the YouTube channel, Instagram. You can find me. I'm at ladypartsdoc, L-A-D-Y-P-A-R-T-S-D-O-C. I'm on Twitter. And, you know, just, just stay in touch. If you're interested in booking me for presentations, conferences, or other events, you know how to contact me as well. Reach me on the website. Until next time. Mm